If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, which is a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, we have national bands, we have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend some Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs, a family-friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue. Hey everybody, welcome to the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. And welcome into another episode of the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. I'm your host today, AJ Hayfley, alongside Nathan Rudolph. We are going to wrap up our draft talk for this week with... uh, kind of an interesting episode today as we talk less about players and potential and all those things that we normally get into uh, and talk a little bit more about fit, how guys fit into an organization and why that's valuable come draft day. Before we do all that, though, Nathan, what's up, man? Not a whole lot. Just chilling, trying to figure out who the Evs might fit best into their lineup. Yeah, um, well, early early results. What you got? What Which guys think do you think fit best uh, in the lineup? Well, if we're talking about pick number four, I think Turcotte might fit the best, but I I wouldn't. I want to say Doc fits the best for need, as far as that's concerned. Okay, why is that? Well, the biggest reason is his size for me. Uh, the Avs don't really have anyone quite like that in their I guess they have Rantanen who, who's fairly large on their top line but beyond him they have a third line of a bunch of guys that are around six feet or under they have players like Alex Kerfoot and Tyson Jost who often jump up into that top six role that just aren't that big they do have Soderberg who has some size but again he's in the last year of his contract and plays that 2c role for them which is, would be pretty easy to slot Doc right into What is what is the timeline on Doc? Well, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's it's one of two questions. I think surrounding Kirby Doc and and those who are not as in favor of drafting him. Um, the the time. Let's let's start with the timeline. What what do you really think? What do you envision as the timeline? I think more realistically, it's probably two years. You know, if he wants to go out and put up 100 points in the WHL next year, great. Sign him and, and let's give it a go. But we'll see. He That little bit of lack of consistency in his draft year shows that maybe he might need a bit more time, I think. And I don't have any problem with an extra year there. I don't think the Avs really will either, even with Soderberg being on the last year of his contract. I think they'll have other options to fill that role at least in the meantime but it's definitely something to think about for the Avs I don't know if there's any great options that will be able to jump in especially to play a 2c role in one year but maybe if you're more if you feel more like Turcotte could do that then that could definitely sway you in a different direction 
Okay. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I think Turcotte, I think we've talked about Turcotte and I just want to, we'll touch on this like very briefly, just cause yeah. it's not the point of where we're headed today. Um, but with Turcotte, I think one year is fair for him. Um, we have seen time and time again, uh, you know, sh- would two years help? Absolutely. Would two years, you know, is that the safer route to go? Probably. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but we've, it's just, history's just not on that side. Uh, you know, McCarr going back for two years in college, it was the first time that anybody had done it in since 2007 uh, when James Van Riemsdyk did it. Uh, it was the first time that a top five pick had gone to two years of college. So unless that's, unless McCarr ends up starting the new trend because, hey, it did work out as well as it did. And, you know, I mean, both of those guys, Van Riemsdyk and McCarr, uh, you know, JVR certainly has had a nice, long, productive career. McCarr looks like he could be a superstar. You can't say it doesn't work. Those two guys have been really successful, uh, or uh, we project will be really successful uh, in in their development track of two years. Do you think that's more of an argument for? I think it could be. I also think you have to add in that the Ev situation is very unique. You know, how many times it's in history different. has this <laughs> team that made the second round picked fourth overall, you know? So they have a roster that is already very capable of, of being good in the NHL and, and even going a dis- decent way in the playoffs. So for a team like that, if you have a player going two years, it's a lot more reasonable. You might not be quite as aggressive wanting to get them into the lineup right away. Yeah, the the, Ro- the Rockies, the Avs situation, somebody was just texting me about going to a Rockies game, so my brain was still there. Um, the the Avs situation is obviously unique in that way, and, and definitely is a consideration, but I would also think that if you do get, if they did get a Turcotte or even even a Doc, I mean, you maybe don't go into free agency with the same gusto to go and sign a 2C? Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair consideration, especially with it seeming like Kevin Hayes probably off the board because he seemed like one you could sign for a decent term and, and make that happen where it could be a decent switch for you. Now mm-hmm. it might be a little bit tougher to find a two C that you can get for that right amount of term. Well, and Hayes would have been, Hayes would have been a nice fit because he also had the built in. Uh, he would have been a natural Carl Soderberg replacement right. in a year. And so there were a lot of things about Hayes that made a lot of sense. I do want to stay on Hayes though. Because the other the other conversation around Kirby Doc is that the bigger guy that skates a little slower uh, is a bad fit for how Colorado wants to play. But one, Carl Soderberg has been perfectly successful, uh, and not not any of us are going to confuse that guy with a guy who's fleet of foot. And two, their pursuit of Kevin Hayes really does tell you, and and Kevin Hayes is like a solid skater, but he's not anything special either. Uh, he's, he's not going to, he would not have come in and like added to their identity. Oh my God, this is another, you know, <laughs> fast guy another yeah. burner, you know, it's, it's like, for me, I it's, they, they were interested in Hayes. Um, they have Soderbergh who has been successful, uh, but is, is too much being made of Doc's lack of foot speed here? I think so, yes, especially as far as a fit for the Avs. I think the Avs have plenty of speed. They already do just fine scoring off the rush. Where they could stand to do better, especially in the offensive zone, is in their half-court offense or whatever you want to call it. They're already set up in the zone. That's the type of area that a player like Doc, with his size and his passing ability, can help you. Mm-hmm. The Avs don't need another guy to carry the puck for them through the neutral zone. They can take care of that already. Yeah, I I do agree, and I think that when we're talking about Doc, the biggest question mark should be that engagement. Should, should be I agree the the drive is he is he physically engaging on a shift to shift basis on a game to game basis because that moves his ceiling. If he's not going to be a consistent uh, physical force, then the appeal of his size almost entirely disappears. Right, he he has to use it to get the most out of his game for sure it 
if he's going to be six foot four and, and stand around on the perimeter, then why or why bother? It, it doesn't help him create from that standpoint. It wouldn't matter if he was five foot 11 at that point. Which brings us just perfect segue. You're, I don't know if you're doing this on purpose, but this is perfect. Uh, it's, it, it brings us, if he's going to stand around on the perimeter and that's who he's going to be in the NHL, what is his value over a guy like Trevor Zegras, who's the other guy really in this conversation, uh, if Turcotte's gone? Yeah, it it definitely would not separate him much if he's not using that size. I, I still think I would lean Doc even still, only because Zegras's best attributes is also kind of his worst attributes. He's extremely creative player, and I think the Avs could stand to use some more creativity but he also needs to know when to tone it down a bit, and he doesn't. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, it's a really, uh, the high wire act is something that Zgross is a big fan of. Yep. Uh, and I, I do think that we both have agreed throughout this process that, Zgross as a fit in Colorado uh, is not great. Uh, we both like Doc, and some of that is because we like of the difference of style that he does bring. He he brings a contrast and kind of fills a need for them. You know, makes them a little more well rounded, but does so without sacrificing skill. Yeah, he still and has the individual ability for sure. When you talk about a team that gets obs- that that got obsessed with size. And tried to tried to 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 build on their second round playoff success uh, by getting bigger to compete with the teams around them because they struggled with them. Uh, you look at what Edmonton did, who went out and they got too big, and they sacrificed a lot of skill along the way, and now they're an eyesore to watch. Yeah, uh, picking up a Lucic type is is not the answer, I would say for sure. Well, and and I mean, going out and getting guys like Zach Cassian, and you know, the they just they shaded towards the physicality. Um, right. You don't. You can't. Too much. Don't go for physicality for the sake of physicality. You've yeah. seen other teams do this, like Pittsburgh going out and get Ryan Reeves, and you can't just do that. They have to have skill as well, and, and that's why Doc is so intriguing. Well, and not only, but I mean, they have to have skill, but they have to fit your general identity. That's fair, too. They can't and, just be something completely different. You know, because, like, we've seen uh, Carl Hagelin is a great example of the exact opposite. Yeah. A, a guy that was, uh, you know, not a really physical guy, but a real speedster and could bring that element to a team who absolutely needed it. And night and day. There were, there were some time there were, some teams that he has played on where he's been a great fit and yeah. others where it was like, you just don't, you don't fit this identity of what we do. You bring an element we don't have. And that's great. Like we, we appreciate that, but it doesn't change in any meaningful way. Right. Uh, you have to bring what you do and fit it into the system. It right. can't just be a skill that's a one-off. And I think I think Doc has the potential to do that at a very high level in Colorado, whereas Zgross, I think you have to coach out a lot of the nonsense. You've got to teach him, you've got to teach him how to play the game in a fundamentally different way. He's got great talent, and I don't think anybody that's ever watched him play could argue against the fact that his talent is very intriguing. Certainly. It the talent is absolutely there, and we've seen for a lot of years the Avs love those type of players. They love the idea of someone who is competitive enough, competitive enough that they want to make the perfect play and they want it to be a, a pretty goal every single time. But the reality is, sometimes you just got to get the dirty work done and make it happen. And and Zegers doesn't really seem to understand that very well. And the, you know, the competitiveness is going to be something that also makes Zegras a very intriguing guy because he is a guy that plays with an edge. He's a pesky guy. Uh, He's a guy that plays, you know, he buzzes quite a bit. 
and and opposing players don't like him. And those are always guys you want to build around. And if you can combine that with a high skill level, then you have a really, really talented guy that is going to bring a lot of different elements to the ice that you really like. It's hard to find those guys. But yeah. how much of how much of his talent uh, is going to translate and how much of that peskiness is going to translate? I think the attitude carries over, but how much of the high wire act uh, and playing on the outside, the, the perimeter-oriented game, how much of that is going to to go with him and need to be coached out of him? Because he really, I mean, he just, to be honest, he can't continue that way. Yeah, I I agree. Especially on the perimeter gameplay, it's it's not something the Avs need more of, for sure. The Avs have plenty that can work around the perimeter just fine. They need guys that can get in deeper and, and do the dirty work and make those nice plays entice. And maybe Zegers can do that some of the time, but it would have to be a significant shift in the way he plays to get him to do that consistently. Do you, how do I want to word this? Do you feel like using Tyson Jost as an example, who, got time as both a wing and a center last season. And it really seemed to click with him later on when he was at center. Yeah. Do you think putting him at center would force him to do certain things uh, to, to help his all around game get a, to, to find that level and, and bring out the best in him uh, by putting him in, in down the middle. We're talking about Zegers here. Yes. Hmm. Ah, you know, it might. I, I definitely think it could help him find that edge at the next level for sure, especially on the defensive end. Which is but, a mess right now. Right. But I, I wonder if it doesn't just end up doing more of a Kerfoot scenario where he still finds himself into a role of being a pass-first player and always thinking about the pass and trying to make the pass regardless of how difficult it is to get it through because he wants to try these extremely high difficulty plays. Yeah. Do you think that, do you think being down the middle might help him? Cause might, might help with the keep it simple, stupid. I, it you forces know, him to, to make quicker decisions. It forces him uh, to to worry about creating the time and space for those around him as well. It's not just about what he's up to over there with the puck. You know, if he's he's gonna be a driver on his line, he has to be a driver on his line uh, moving forward. He's not gonna be playing on that team anymore, where he's either centered by Jack Hughes or Alex Turcott. He's gotta be he's gotta be the man moving forward. That's the expectation of a guy that's getting drafted where he's going to get drafted somewhere in the top 10. I, yeah, it, I just think, I think that maybe he's a guy that the playing center in the NCA is going to bring out the best in him, or it's going to absolutely show what kind of ceiling he has and it's going to force him to the wall. And that may be a real concern for somebody. Yeah, I I agree with that last statement for sure. It, it may simplify his game a little bit, but I worry uh, if he makes the quicker decisions, he's just going to fall back on what he knows. And right now, what he knows is trying to do crazy stuff all the time. So, so I wonder if that's what he results in. And down the middle, all it does is end up taking the edge off even more, and we see him penetrate even less and, and basically just give up on going to the dirty areas entirely. Uh, because if you're on the wing, it, it's at least going to force you to board battle regularly and, yeah. and you can force a player into understanding that they have to do that and, and how to win those types of battles. And with Zegras, it's, it's not like size is a real concern here. Like, it isn't. He's yeah. got good size. He's a little over six feet tall He's got a lot of frame to fill out. He should, uh, when he when he matures physically, he should be about a six foot one ninety guy, which is a very common size for guys who play 
an effective center in the NHL. Yeah, I think he definitely has the size to do it. And if you're drafting him, you're you're definitely hoping that you can slot him down the middle and he can figure out the limits of his game and, and how to most effectively use his skills to create space in the middle of the ice. As a fit for Colorado, uh, let's say they take him fourth, and that's a very real possibility that they do. Where does he fit in? What is his timeline, and where does he fit in? Because with Doc, it's a very easy, he's your 2C, maybe a year, maybe two years, if you're really conservative with him, and then you bring him into the NHL, and you let him do his thing and work his way up the lineup, blah, 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 blah. With Zegras, what does that timeline look like? Because I think those waters are a lot muddier. Yeah, I I agree. I, You know, with Doc, I said if he absolutely kills it, maybe a one-year plan would be in the cards for him. With Zegras, I think you're definitely looking at two years. As you mentioned, all of those things that need to be coached out of it or into his game, it's just going to take more time for him. So you're definitely looking at a little bit of a longer path, I would think, if you're going with Zegras. And as far as the Avs lineup is concerned, once you get him, depending on how early you get him, you probably need to look at some AHL time with the fourth overall pick. You want him to skip that, but that's part of the reason that I, I don't love Zegers at four. And once he's in the Avs lineup, you have to start him at three C. I would think that's a sheltered enough role to give him the opportunity to see if he can do it. But the Avs have a history of Comfer, Kerfoot, uh, Jost, they're not afraid to throw those guys to the wing if they think it's best for them. Yeah, it's it's a tricky it's a tricky situation, and especially with Zegras, where you don't know is he is he going to be a center? Is he going to be a wing? I think ultimately he ends up as a center, and that's why we're going to see him drafted uh, as highly as he'll end up being drafted. But I. I think there's a, there's a lot of risk in his in his game that doesn't exist with really anybody else in these conversations. You know, Matt Boldy, Kirby Doc, uh, even Peyton Krebs, Pud Colson. I don't I don't feel like there's the same level of risk involved with any of those guys like there is with Zegras. Yeah, I I agree with that. You, I'd say. The closest might actually be Doc mm-hmm. in, in in the same idea that they both do have incredibly high ceilings, yep. but but Doc's floor I think is significantly higher than what Zegras's could be. Uh, I do I, I think those guys have the highest ceilings after uh, the top couple of, of guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, after after because I think right now it's obviously the top two are in their own class. And then I think Byram and Turcott are in a, a, a mini class of their own. Uh, and then there's a little separation, not a lot, but a little bit. And then there's this next group with Doc and Zegras at the top of it. And I do think that they have the highest ceilings of those guys. Uh, I think that Doc honestly has the potentially the second highest ceiling in the entire draft uh, behind Hughes. But it would take him absolutely 100%. I mean, that's like the absolute maxed out everything went well version of him. Uh, and I don't think Zgross's ceiling ever gets that high. Even if he gets, even if he goes full 100%, I don't think it's quite that high. And with the risk involved and it just, it just seems like doc is the better fit in Colorado. Yeah, I, I agree. If you have, even if you give Zegras the benefit of the doubt on the ceiling and say that they're both potential point per game players, mm-hmm. you look at Doc and you say, "Okay, well, what if Doc only hits eighty percent of his potential?" You're you're like, "Okay, we're probably still getting a sixty point two C out of this guy." Yeah. If Zegras only hits eighty percent of his potential, you kind of have a mystery man. Is he know? Jonathan Duran? Right. That's that's actually a decent comparison. Not sure if you're going to get that many goals out of him, but but I hear what you're saying. There. Yeah, like the the flashy playmaker who can do a lot right. of things for you, but ultimately as a point producer, he ends up you know he ended up a wing. Uh, there was a lot of oh can can Duran play play center? 
he did it after McKinnon left. And, you know, is that, is that what he's going to be able to do? And then he ended up on the wall as the fancy playmaker and could not, it has not translated to more than a 50 point guy, like a, a solid contributor uh, who has a little bit of value and is a good, like a good power play guy, but not a, not a core guy and not a guy that you actively look to build around. Yeah. I, I think that's a good descriptor. He's, he ends up in more of a complimentary role. Which, I mean, you know, the abs aren't necessarily asking who, whoever they draft fourth overall to be a star for them, but what a difference it would make if that happens. Right. Well, certainly no complaints if they take Zegras. It's just, I think there are better options. Right. And that's, that's kind of the weird part of all of this is if they could take any of five guys and I would not be mad. Like I'm not going to get upset with any, you know, they, if they went with any of Byram, uh, Boldy, Zegras, Turcotte, Doc, cool. I'm yeah. I'm down with that. Like any any single one of those guys, I have no complaints about. Uh, after that, after that though, um, you know, Boldy, I love Boldy. So, uh, but after those guys, like it's it gets very iffy. But it's all about how are you going to fit in? What are they going to look like in your culture? And that's where I think Zegras gets just kind of left hanging uh, on the outside, looking in just a little bit. Yeah, I would agree. All right, let's go ahead and take our first break here. Uh, We're going to come back on the other side. We're going to do the same exact thing, but we're going to do it for defensemen and with more of a focus on the 16th pick. So don't go anywhere. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend, and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Welcome back in segment number two here at the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Bev. I am AJ. He is Nathan. We are talking about best fits for the avalanche in the draft first segment, we spent some time talking about Zgrass versus doc with the fourth pick, uh, with the understanding that if Turcotte is there, he's the easy pick and you don't have to make hard choices. Pick 16, you're going to have to make some choices. And I'm of the opinion that the forwards in this class are quite a bit better than the defenders, uh, through the, the top half of the draft. And so I'm, I would not be surprised to see some of these defensemen start to really drop. Now, Moritz Sider is a guy that we've talked about on the show. And you and I have both had, in different mock drafts, uh, the Avs taking at 16. Yeah, He's an intriguing guy, but it really feels like he's on the rise. It does. Uh, where to the point where he may not even come close to getting to 16 anymore. But that's fine. We're going to talk about a lot of guys that get drafted before 16. Um, But we feel he is a very good fit for Colorado, uh, at least among this defensive group. Why do you think he makes sense for the Avs? Yeah, I, I think he might even be the best fit for a defenseman at, at 16, as much as I love guys like Soderstrom, they don't quite fit as well in what the abs would need on their blue line as well as a cider does because one, his size, he's already six, four, 210 pounds or something ridiculous. So he's going to be a big, big boy. And the abs could use a little bit more of that. We've talked about it many times, how the most direct replaceable player on the Avs roster currently is going to be EJ in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And with Cider being in Germany now, 
obviously you'd like to get him out of there, but you're, you're looking at probably at least a couple year timeline for him as well. So that might be a reasonable transition. Is Cider a top pairing type guy? I don't know if I'm convinced by that, but at very least you're, you're getting that player with defensive ability to help lock things down with his size. I think I, I think the combination of uh, the quality of his feet and which sounds funny to say he's got, he's, he's a good skater. I'll say that (laughs) the, the combination of him being a good skater and uh, him being six foot three. Yeah. That's really what marries me to the idea of, of that being a good fit because Colorado has enough tiny guys back there. They sure do. And they could use uh, they could use a bigger guy with puck skill, and you know, sure, who couldn't, right? Every team in the NHL is like, yeah, sure, I would love if I could get all this puck skill that's coming into the league in a in a, the body of a guy that's six foot four, six foot three. <laughs> That'd be amazing. No surprise, he's <laughs> on the rise, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. Accidental rhyme aside, uh, I I don't think it is a surprise. This is exactly the kind of guy, and he had a good showing at World Championships, which I think really, really cemented the idea that there's a lot of untapped potential there. Yeah, I agree there for sure. We've talked about he's an obviously he's an obvious fit for a lot of reasons. And the other one, though, I think is that his timeline is a little bit slower. There's not this is not a guy that's gonna be knocking on the door right away. Yeah, you, you just can't expect that out of a player coming out of the DEL. You really have no concept of, of what he's going to look like across a full season yet. So you, you're going to need time to get a better grasp on that, and it's a little bit of a risk. I think, I think that plays into his favor as a good fit for Colorado because that lets them work out, one, the Tyson Berry situation, but... Yep. To uh, the expansion draft situation. And there's a decent chance Colorado loses a defenseman uh, in that in that process. You could very easily just say, okay, well, now Moritz Sider is going to step up and replace whoever that is. Yeah, especially if you're looking at it as one of Zadorov and EJ, which I won't get too far into it because there's a lot of speculation, but there's a good chance the yeah. Av lose one of their defensemen with more size if they end up losing a defenseman. And Very fighter steps in easily. Well, and you you know, there's a world in which we're looking at Colorado's defense today and we're like, that's eh, preset. Yep. But come two years down the road, when Cider, when we're looking at Cider maybe either making the leap to the AHL or to the NHL, kind of depending on how it's gone so far, not knowing what those two years look like. Um, you know, there's a realistic possibility that Tyson Berry's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's however that happens, but he's gone. And okay, Connor Timmons takes his place. But then after two years, you're also going to have, you know, the Zadorov conversation is still going to be looming over unless he gets a long term deal. Uh, but then the expansion question will come into play with him. But you're also going to have to replace Ian Cole after two years, yeah, because his contract will be expired. You know, maybe you bring him back, and that's a, that's that's what they do. But by what I'm what I'm getting at here, what I'm working at is that today the defense looks set, and with Malosh and Timmins as two close to NHL ready defensive prospects, uh, you've got guys who are reasonable candidates to fill in on the NHL roster in the next couple of years. But after that, you know, there might be even more turnover. Yeah. We, we talked about this before uh, with the forwards, when the abs really start pushing for this cup and when their cap crunch becomes a thing, which it will eventually, how you get value there is guys like cider being able to step into your roster and you don't have to pay them 4 million. Like you're paying an Ian Cole. Right. You get him on an on an ELC to do the same job. Yeah, exactly. And and that's where you save the four million. And that four million instead goes to the top of your roster to pay for a Landis Cog extension. Yep. 
that's and that's after two years. That's that timeline. So, so there you go. That's you know I do th- and and that's it's strange because like you draft a guy and typically it's like oh you want to get this guy to the NHL you want to get him to the NHL as quickly as possible, but cider is so raw and coming from the competition that he is, it's going to take some adjustment. It is. It is. And it's weird to look at that longer timeline and say, that's an advantage for him. And it's an advantage for the apps. Yeah. He's such an interesting guy because every time we talk about him, I find myself convincing myself that, no, this is good. We might actually want to do this. (laughs) Right, and then every time I do like a, a mock draft or I look at a mock, and every time they have cider at sixteen, I kind of I'm just kind of like, nah. Right, all right. I, I guess, I guess. Fine. <laughs> like, all right, that's all right. It could be a lot worse. That's okay. Right, it it's definitely a back and forth with him for sure. Is that is that more of an indictment on just how we feel about the defenders in this year's class in the at sixteen? It might be to to some extent. Uh, unfortunately, I think the guy we're about to talk about is a better hockey player probably than Cider, but he just is such a bad fit for the Avs that it's just not happening. Well, let's get into Cam York because that's who we're going to talk about. I think he's a better player than Cider today, but is he a better player than Cider in three years? Well, he's certainly a different player. Uh, that's safe to say. Much smaller, way more offensively inclined. So you're really comparing apples and oranges with these two, I think. <laughs> they they are very different. Yeah, uh, they are. It's it's like comparing Zadorov with Barry. Yeah, exactly. So. I guess this is why it's such a good conversation to have here, because what do the abs want out of a defenseman at this pick? Do they want another Tyson Berry type? And the answer that I think we've both kind of come to is not really. We have enough of, or the abs have enough of that. At least for right now, I feel that way. I, I feel like a year from now, like they're as long as they're not trading away all their first round picks. Like a year from now, we're going to be talking about the. It's going to be draft time next season. They will have another first round pick. It's not like the draft stops after this season. They're still going to be drafting guys in the first round. We don't know where. Yep. We project it to be more in the twenties, but we don't know that for sure. There's a chance, you know, a year from now that they could be, we could be talking about, oh, hey, a Cam York type in the middle of round one next season. And maybe we feel like, hey, you know, Tyson Berry's gone. Kale McCarr and, and Sam Gerrard only combined for 60 points this year. What do we do now? You know, maybe there is a value there. Maybe, maybe one of the things that we are doing wrong with when looking at Cam York, and because we both do agree, not a great fit. Good player, not a great fit. Um, it's, it's, we're, are, are we looking too much at present day abs by saying that it's not a great fit? Because like I said, you know, with, with cider two years down the road, that guy, that guy might be a perfect fit for what they need. You know, maybe Tyson Berry is gone and Sam Gerard hasn't taken that big step uh, forward for, you know, as, as an offensive player. And it's just Kale McCarr, and you you are looking for a little bit more offense. EJ has de- has devolved a little bit more again. Um, maybe maybe we've looked at this the wrong way the whole time. Maybe two years down the road, what if Cam York is a great fit? Like, what if everything goes wrong, and that's exactly what they need? Yeah, I mean, it's not out of the question. If you could predict that accurately, uh, I think the Avs would be paying you a lot of money. So. <laughs> I think they should be doing that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I wonder, for me at least, if it's a little bit of of the safety factor with a defense that looks relatively set right now. Someone like Cider, it doesn't seem like it's, it's a super high risk proposition of a player to get over and have play in your system and get an NHL player out of. And I think York will absolutely be an NHL player as well, but I wonder about his versatility a little bit. You very much have him inside a a, a small restricted box. 
Yes, he's going to be an offensive D on the smaller side that's going to struggle a bit defensively, especially with physicality. I I don't see how that isn't what he ends up being. And he may well be a perfectly good offensive D capable of playing in the top four. I think he probably will be. Yeah. But are we really going to try and run a top four uh, where Makar at six foot one is our biggest defenseman? Um, I mean, if the skill is there and they're, you know, Sam Gerard, we know is good defensively. He is, you know, so if there's, if, if that's what you're after is good, is just good players, then not a huge problem, right? Yeah. I mean, as far as the skill level, I don't think it's, it's a big problem, but we've already seen it, you know, two years in a row now, Gerard has struggled with injury in the playoffs. And if the next man up isn't someone that can handle that better, which could be a problem for York in that category as well, eh, I'm not super confident in that. I definitely agree. Um, I I think that the I like York, and I think I think York has kind of flown under the radar a little bit. I know we've talked about that on on this show before. That he's kind of everybody kind of agrees. Yeah, he's a good player, but they don't really worry about where he gets drafted. It's he's a guy that could Buffalo could could take him at seven, and I'd be like, oh, it's a little bit early, but that makes a lot of Not sense. Outrageous. Yeah, yeah, that's okay, great. Like I between between Darlene and and Montour and Ristolainen, okay, sure, I get I get that. You know, adding another guy to the to those coffers, that's a lot of offensive guys, but okay, like <laughs> I get it. Um, he, he could also slip to 20 and, yep. you know, go there. And I would be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Got good okay. Value there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like makes sense. You know, the, the other teams just preferred the other defenders for whatever reason. And I think that that lack of versatility that you've mentioned is, is going to be a factor in where York gets to gets drafted. Either a team is going to absolutely love what he does well. And that's all they care about, or they're going to see that he's very much a one trick pony and that he needs to develop a lot of the rest of his game and decide, you know, ah, we're, we're not, you know, we want, we want the other guys a little more. What we need. Yeah. So it'll be, I'll be really curious to see what happens on draft day where, who actually pulls that trigger. Yeah. I, it will be someone, I'm sure. It wouldn't surprise me, like you said, if that goes before the Avs or after them. But I just don't think it will be the Avs. I don't. I don't either. Uh, and the fit is mainly it. Yep. Um, it and there are other teams too because of that lack of worth. Like I can't see Minnesota taking him. If I'm Minnesota, I would much prefer a Soderstrom or a Cider because yeah. you need more of those well-rounded defenders. You know the the thing with York is that. He is very much like I, I always compare him to Shattenkirk because that's who he reminds me of um, the way that he just distributes the puck and slings it around the ice and, and is a phenomenal passer and with great vision um, and r- the way he runs a power play. It's all very Shattenkirkian to me and like that's a good player, but that's and that's that's one that you need on your team, but that's not really a core guy for you. You don't build around that guy. You know, you kind of add him in when you have other defenders already in place and you go from there. That's not a guy that you prioritize and say, okay, well, he's going to be, you know, that's you go and you get you go and you get your EJ before you get your Barry. Exactly. To to compare to Carl. Like you want, you want, you want to have that guy, that, that horse, that two way guy that plays in a lot of situations for you. And then you can go get the specialist building from the specialist first and then out is not great. More and difficult for sure. Yeah. For, for Colorado, they don't really need the specialist. Even if Tyson Berry leaves, you expect that between Gerard and McCarr and, you know, whatever right. else as happens. As long as things don't go worst case scenario. They right. Should have as long as it's not game. Armageddon. Like, yeah. Another, you know, we don't ever talk about Connor Timmons as a point producer. The guy was a point per game player in his, his draft plus one year. And like none of us are expecting that kind of offense to translate. But 
I think it's a reasonable expectation that that guy gives you 30 points. Sure. And yeah, if, if they end up hitting on a Timmons, something like that, then it becomes really, really hard to fit a Cam York in. Yeah. I mean, even if, even if uh, Malosh becomes the guy, he's still sure. a guy that should give you 20 to 25. He's always been productive. Yep. So, you know, that's you're you're still should be finding offense from your defense. The Avs, the Avs don't have any of these guys that we're talking about. They're not so limited where it's like Zadorov has been the most limited where you're like, oh, yeah, but he had 14 points last year. And half of those were goals. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird year for him, wasn't it? So it's, you know, it's 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 crazy to me. The guy can't find his way to more assists. But I think that'll get better when, you know, the Avs bottom six gets better. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Pass to players that can actually score helps usually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Kim York, more at Cider. We both prefer Cider. They're both good players. Uh, I would definitely prefer that they go forward at 16 over either one of those guys, but we're still we're still open to lots of ideas here. That's it's kind of the fun part of this draft is that it doesn't feel like there's a narrow window for success. They could do a lot of different things and have a good draft class. For sure. You you can find a lot of positives unless they really do something unusual. I think I'll be pretty happy at least. Yeah. If they, uh, if they take Cole Caulfield at four and then Raph Lavoie at 16, I'm not giving them an A. Don't even put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's, no, thank you. That is not, uh, all the avenues to success that they do have, that's not on the list. <laughs> All right, let's take our second let's take our second break here. Uh this is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Gonna pay some bills and then we will be right back. Are you thinking about selling your house, but it's not in tip top condition? How do you ensure you'll maximize your profit? If your house is in need of an upgrade, Houselift can assist in eliminating all the stress of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire. And get this, there are zero upfront costs from you, the homeowner. That's right, you won't pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until your house closes. Houselift will handle everything, from the contractors to the design, while managing these costs. Here's what you need to do. Head to their website or Facebook page, both at houselift.colorado.com, and check out the incredible remodels Houselift has done for homeowners here in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from 15 to 60K more in their clients' pockets. Call 303-885-7888 today and find out what Houselift can do for you. Oh yeah, if you hire one of Houselift's preferred realtors, they will sell your home without charging a listing commission. Welcome in third and final segment here of today's BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We are here talking about good and bad fits. We are going to dedicate this third segment to a guy that is both. One of the real big question marks of this draft comes from the OHL, played for the Hamilton Bulldogs, Arthur Kaliev. Had 50 goals, 50 assists, 100 points last year. It was actually 51 and 51, so 102 points in 67 games played. Why is this guy who just scored 51 goals in the OHL not a slam dunk top 10 player? Well, uh, because all he does is score goals. And uh, yes, he did have 51 assists as well, but his points don't come from his play so much as they do come from directly his shot. That and playing with quality teammates, he doesn't do much of anything away from the puck besides try to get open, which he's okay at, but it's everything but that goal scoring. You look at it and you go, at minimum, this needs work, and in some cases, like on defense, you might just have to throw it out entirely. Well, he's not a good skater, he's not a good defender, and his hockey IQ isn't off the charts. How in the world did this guy score 102 points in the OHL? Yeah, the the assists are are pretty surprising even to me. Uh, you can't, and to be fair, a fair amount of those are pad pass assists, which is why he got there. The yeah. kid can absolutely fire pucks. 
and he can fire them accurately. He, When he has the puck in a shooting position, there's a good chance it's going in, but he needs help getting the puck in those positions most of the time. He is a notorious floater. Yep. Like, when you talk about guys who float, like, there may not be a better example in this year's draft than this kid. It it, it absolutely is. It, it's something that he just needs to improve pretty much straight up. It, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because I do think he understands how to take advantage of that floatiness, and he can make himself disappear a bit and just suddenly pop up in an open spot to give receive a pass and finish. But he's got to engage more, especially when there aren't opportunities to find a shot. He's got great size. He's 6'2 and 190 pounds already. So this is not Cole Caulfield, five foot seven. Is that sniper going to be able to survive the rigors of the NHL game? There are none of those questions with Kaliev. It's entirely about, does he care about anything going on around him? Outside of him having the puck and him score goals. That is the question. And unfortunately, a lot of the time the answer seems like no. If you do believe that there is more there and he has shown when he believes he can get the puck and score, he's willing to engage in battles to try and do that. He just needs to be willing to do that all the time to try and help the team. I am not a big Arthur Kaliev believer. But as a fit in Colorado, it's hard to argue that at 16, with two first-round picks, you know, there's not the same level of pressure for this guy to, uh, you know, if if the abs don't hit on him, if they take Kaliev at 16 and he ends up, all of its it becomes worse fears realized and none of it translates and the goal scoring ends up being not enough to carry the rest of an apathetic all around game. Uh, Colorado does not get set back five years with a miss like that, but the potential upside of a guy like this for Colorado is astronomical. It really is. When's the last time the Avs have had a potential 30 goal scorer type that realistically would slot in on their, their second line? Well, and what's what's crazy is that like when Rantanen was drafted, it was, you know, his vision and his passing ability. And he also has a lethal shot, but he he plays such a deferential offensive game that, you know, he's going to get 30 goals a year but he's not going to be known as a goal scorer. Nathan McKinnon went five years, four years in the NHL until the light, the light clicked on. And he, even now he's, he's more of a volume shooter than a a high quality shooter. Kaliev is the kind of pure sniper that they just have not had a guy that can just beat a goalie. Not, and, and does not have to, you know, does not have to go through the motions, does not have to work really ultra hard in order to create the high quality scoring chance. He's the kind of guy that can just score from anywhere inside the zone at any given time time that he has the puck. He is. And not only does the abs not having that make him a good fit, but also the abs have pieces that they can surround him with to take advantage of his skills. Players like Kerfoot, players like Rantanen, as you mentioned, they are the type of players that can get him the puck in the spots where he can finish from. And that's nice. If this kid ends up on Colorado's second power play unit and he sets up in the Ovechkin spot and just bombs away, yeah, just let him rip. Um, I mean, he's left-handed, so I guess he would set up on the opposite side, but I, I, is that is that almost even a waste of his talents? Like if he where where does he where would he fit in where Colorado could best maximize what he does? Because they've already got, you know, you already have Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen, uh two two of the, the NHL's top ten scores the last two seasons. Yeah. I mean to fit him in perfectly, I think you're looking at creating 
a 2A and a 2B type line scenario where one of them is going to be your shutdown line and the other one is is going to be the Avs offensive throwout line. So you have the big line of McKinnon and, and Co. that you just throw out in all situations. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of control how you use your, your 2A and 2B lines, whether it's a defensive zone face-off, maybe throughout the shutdown line, offensive zone face-off, you can throw out a Kerfoot, a Kaliev, and, and whoever you want on that line as well to try and put pucks in the net. If you draft Kirby Dock at four and then Arthur Kaliev at 16, have you just created a monster? I mean, that's the hope, right? I mean, how horrifying is two guys of that type of size with two skills that can play off of each other so well? That I mean, you're talking perfect compliments to one another. Right. You know, Doc can drive the net well and, and get Cali of the pucks that he's going to need to do the finishing. And that would be extremely scary, especially if Kaliev can get the other parts of his game to a respectable level. I mean, you'd be talking about some silly stuff there. Would that, if, if they went that direction, if they go Doc and Kaliev, and both of those guys, let's say they get to 80% of their ceilings, does Colorado win a Stanley Cup? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I, I would vote yes, but you let's say you get Doc and Kaliev at 80% of their ceilings, add one high-end UFA this year. That's That looks like a cup-contending team at worst to me. At worst, a cup-contending team. Yeah. It's not bad. But uh, you're... You're definitely dreaming a lot on Kaliev to get there, I think. <laughs> right. Like we're we're you're listening to this right now and you're probably like, well, this is a really easy decision. Why are then why aren't they just talking about this guy like he's a slam dunk? There's a lot of work to be done with his game. A lot of work because he is I mean, apathetic, man. I watched him play the first two games I ever watched of his, and I was completely at a loss. I was like, are people serious about this? Like, this is the premier goal scorer in this year's draft class? Like, what's what, what am I supposed to be seeing here? This dude's just skating around in circles. He doesn't want to get in near anybody. You know, Mar- Marion Hosa was allergic to his own gear. You'd think that Kaliev was allergic <laughs> to all of the gear on all of the other players at times. Yeah, it's it's tough to watch sometimes. Like, and there are times where you're like, I don't even know what position he's supposed to be playing because he's just standing around doing nothing. He's watching the puck and waiting for it to come near him, and then he'll care again. And it was just like, what is going on here? What is he doing? And then, of course, you see one of those games where he dominates. And he goes out there and he has a five-point night. And he goes three goals and two assists. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, but then you see that and you're like, now do that always. I just, I don't know that he can get there every night. I and, I agree. I don't think he will. And if you go and get Kirby Doc with Kaliev, and you're saying the same thing about Doc, can he do it every night? Is he going to care every night? That when you go when you talk about a boomer bust proposition, there is a lot of bust in that in that combination of picks. There is. It's it's probably a bit too risky for me. To be honest, if the Avs took Turcotte at four, I think you'd be having this conversation a little bit more because there really isn't as much risk in Turcotte's game as far as that is concerned. Yeah. Um, but even then, especially with we know that the Avs like the guys that that do put in that extra bit of effort and they have these intangibles that Kaliev seems to lack. And you see, maybe New Hook makes it to 16. Suzuki will very likely be there at 16. It <laughs> yeah. becomes hard to to lean into Kaliev here. What would need to happen for you to be won over between now and draft day for 
Colorado to come up on the board at 16, and you say Kaliev, Kaliev. Uh, I think Newhook would have to be gone for sure. And then, like I said, I, I think Turcotte, if they take Turcotte at four and Newhook's gone, I'd be, I'd be up for Kaliev. But if they take a D at four, Kaliev's way too risky. And, and like you said, the, the issue with concerning Doc and whether he's going to be able to give it 100% every night, it, it becomes a balancing act of trying to get two guys like that in the first round. Yeah. What if if you're going boom or bust on a guy? Why not just take Spencer Knight? Sure, uh, that's definitely a, a fair argument. You could be looking at someone who could slot in a, as a number one type player instead of a second line player. There, right? I mean, I guess you could put Callie up next to McKinnon and Rantanen. Uh, you would not be allowed to play them in the defensive zone. <laughs> no, but. That could be an a crazy electric line. I mean, you could do that. That's, <laughs> I guess, that's the wonder. On a night where Kaliev has his motor going, you could put him with just about anyone, and it'd be fine, right? It, I mean, those three guys could combine for seven hundred shots on goal in a season, <laughs> right? But the the question is, what do you do with him when it doesn't show up? And and I don't know if there's an answer for that. Interesting. I I think Kaliev is one of this draft's most intriguing guys because of all the things we've talked about here. If he if he hits, he's a grand slam. I mean, you're talking about a potential 500 goal guy in his career. You're ta- you're talking about a guy that scores 40 a year for a decade. You know, is is a special goal scorer in the NHL. And if he doesn't, then <laughs> you're getting nothing out of him. You won't. You won't get a third line player. You won't get. You know. I think. I think the the best case scenario, if things don't go well, is that he turns into like a Thomas Vanek light, where he's a power play guy that can set up on one of the wings and just bombs away. And you maybe hide him on a third line where you kind of try to hide him at 5v5 as much as you can and then get a bunch of power play production out of him. Yeah, that I think that's a very real possibility as to what he becomes. And you would certainly be hoping for more than that at 16. The downside makes him not at all a good fit for Colorado. They really this is their opportunity to kind of get this thing right and to take the next step for a long time and going all in on it, on a boomer bus guy like this. I just don't know. I, my personal belief on it is that I would never draft this kind of guy um, under any circumstances, regardless of where my, of, of where my organization was, I would never take this kind of kid. But I could certainly understand it when another team will, because holy smokes, you are you are hoping to roll a twenty with him. Yeah, it it's the the biggest home run swing you could take in this draft, and maybe you knock it out of the park, or maybe you strike out. That feels, you know, certainly like modern day baseball. Um, that that feels like the likeliest two outcomes. Yeah, no more small ball. <laughs> yeah, the three true outcomes are dead in baseball. So they should be dead in our baseball metaphors as well. Nathan, I think that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we have tomorrow's show is be a GM mode. If you guys have not uh, already submitted your rosters, uh, a couple of things that I'd like to run down after looking at some of the submissions we've had. Put together a full summer. Don't just trade Tyson Berry and say you're done. Because um, we will not read those ones on, on the show. We will not break those ones down. Those are not fun to read. Uh, your one trade proposal is not going to be sufficient. Um, two, keep the salary cap in mind. 
Uh, as I put on Twitter last night, there was one person who spent $8 million over the salary cap limit. We, we can't do anything with that. Um, you're $8 million over. So unless you plan on trading a handful of the guys that you just signed away, uh, you know, we, again, like let's keep salary cap in mind, use the cap friendly, be a G uh, armchair GM tool. If you need, you can send me those links. Uh, BSN avalanche at gmail.com is where I am asking you guys to send those. Don't send them to my personal. Don't DM them to me. Uh, we will not read those on the show. You guys have to be able to follow instructions here in order to, uh, in order to make it, there have been some really good submissions. I'm excited to get to those. I, for the record, I will plan on doing that for both the Friday show this week and next week. Uh, the week after, I will be in Vancouver, and that will be round one of the NHL draft, so we won't do that that one. But Friday of this week, Friday of next week, we'll play the silly be a GM. Uh, we'll do the be a GM mode kind of game and uh, see what you guys do over the summer. We'll see how you guys build it. You guys were big fans of the trade deadline stuff, so... I'm curious to see how you guys do on this. Uh, that's it. That's going to wrap it up for, for us for today. So for Nathan Rudolph, I am AJ Hayfley. This is the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We will see you tomorrow. The Colorado Golf Association is dedicated to preserving, improving, and serving the game of golf here in Colorado. And right now they're conducting their annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle. Ed May, executive director of the Colorado Golf Association, gave us some more info on what exactly you can win if you enter. We had six grand prizes this year and 40 plus other prizes. So the, the big ticket items, so to speak, or the grand prizes are a trip to the BMW Championship, including VIP access, thanks to our partnership with BMW. Uh, we have trip to Streamsong, we have a trip to Bandon Dunes, we have a trip to Sand Valley. And then we have what I think might be the coolest, the chance to take an, uh, a 7 Series BMW down to Telluride to play in a CGA-only event. The raffle tickets will go on sale on our website, coloradogolf.org. Tickets are $40, and you know all the proceeds from the raffle are going to support youth development in the state of Colorado. So you're making a great donation to a great cause, but you're also having a chance to uh, really have a fantastic dream golf vacation. For a chance to win, be sure to go to coloradogolfassociation.org.